1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Music. My name is Franz Nikolai. My guest today is Lily Hirsch. Lily Hirsch is a musicologist, writer, visiting scholar at Cal State Bakersfield. Previously, she was an assistant professor of music at Cleveland State University. She studied music history as an undergraduate at the University of the Pacific, earned her PhD in musicology from Duke. She's the author of books about music during the Nazi era, as well as one about music and criminal law her book, Weird Al, Seriously, is out this spring in an expanded edition. Lily Hirsch, welcome to New Books and Music.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Um, I wanted to start with your, your personal relationship to, to Weird Al and his work. I was sort of surprised towards the end of the book to hear that you weren't a big Weird Al fan before you wrote it. So how did you, um, how did you end up on this topic?
0: Oh, that's a great question. And that wasn't something I was sure I should reveal initially when I was first working on the book. But in the expanded edition, I really get a little more personal and talk about how this all happened and how I consider myself a Weird Al fan And now. And I don't know if musicologists or people that study music are supposed to admit that they lack a certain objectivity. Um, But I think people always have these interesting relationships to their subjects. So I'm just being honest. I'm a big Weird Al fan now. Um, I think in a way I was always a Weird Al fan, but I didn't know it. So growing up, I was very involved in classical music and I thought I wanted to be an opera singer or something like this. And I studied voice and Piano forever, um, and then I went uh, into a, a conservatory of music and undergrad, and and really thought maybe I would be a singer before I decided to major in music history and and really got involved with writing about music. Um, so I just wasn't really aware fully of what was happening in the in pop music. Um, I do remember seeing the video uh, for "Smells Like Nirvana" with Weird Al. Um, I think it was a video on MTV uh, that my brother had put on, I probably wanted to watch Murder, She Wrote, which is uh, still an argument we have. Um, But so I was aware of Weird Al, but I just wasn't fully paying attention to anything but classical music for a long time. Um, But once I got involved with this topic, I really wanted to write, I've always written about categories in music. Um, I've written about uh, these kind of essential ideas of Jewish music um, and even ideas of music itself that it has to be uplifting. I took that on in my book about music and criminal law, that music can be positive, it can be negative, it can be everything in between. So then I decided I wanted to take on the idea of of humorous music, that humorous music is somehow dismissed in comparison to serious music. And that seemed like a huge problem and something right up my alley and and Weird Al seems the obvious choice to explore and when I was able to get an interview with him I was off and running and really throwing myself into the music and then and then I realized oh my gosh this is a fabulous place to live I'm a fan um and that's kind of the journey
1: It might seem to an outsider like there is quite a leap from heavy topics like Jewish music during the Nazi era and music and criminal law to uh, humorous music, much less uh, the music of Weird Al. Did you did you perceive a a through line yourself, or did it feel like a leap?
0: Yes. Well, I realize when I say it, when I say uh, when I was first working on the book, and I told people. I got a lot of these quizzical looks. So it sounds like a leap when you when people know I worked on music during the Nazi era and now I'm working on a book about Weird Al. It sounds like a leap, and I realized that. Um, I realized that my CV now almost looks like some sort of punchline. You've got this left turn with these very serious topics, and then boom, Weird Al. Um, and I kind of love that, um, but for me, it w- there is a through line with this categories. I'm taking on these. Uh, always taking on these issues in music where people are uh, sticking a certain type of music in a box and not realizing how dynamic music is or the people behind the music, how dynamic they are. Um, So uh, I was able to do that with this humorous music. Uh, Humorous music is seen as somehow less than serious music when it takes a tremendous amount of talent um, to create something that's funny. Um, there's a wonderful quote that I'm going to be using for a forthcoming book um, from this uh, humorous musician named Insane Ian. And he told me that it it takes a musician to write a, and I'm, I don't have the quote in front of me, but the gist was it takes some talent to write a love song, but to write a love song about a burrito, now that's <laughs> really something.
1: That speaks to one of the questions that I had when I was reading your book is how to categorize Weird Al. Is he a comedian using music as his sort of vector for comedy? Is he a musician that happens to write funny songs? Is he, a, is he a, an entertainer? Like, how do, we, how do we think of him? There's something like old fashioned vaudevillian, um, you know, multi-talent about, about how he presents yeah. himself.
0: Yeah. And I think he's all that, all those things. I think it's, it's easy when someone plays the violin, just the violin, not to minimize it with the just, I'm very sick of the, the just always are a problem. Um, But it's very easy to categorize that person as a musician. They're playing an instrument. Boom. Um, Weird Al does all these things. So you start to go, well, what is he really? He is all of those things. He is an entertainer. He's obviously a musician. He can crush it with the accordion and his voice doesn't always get the respect it deserves. I think initially you early, especially earlier in his career, he leaned into this kind of nasal quality Um, and there, and and for a comedic effect, there's of course a lot of great musicians that have a kind of nasal quality, but Weird Al also has some tremendous skill with that voice that I only kind of appreciated. uh, After a while, I started to realize, wow, he's really got range. Um, He can uh, imitate a lot of different styles. He can embed himself in a lot of different styles. And he's got some really kind of impressive high notes that come out once in a while. Um, He's definitely a musician. He does all of those things. He knows a lot about music technology. He knows how to uh, recreate certain aspects of these original songs and what to do there. He's involved in all of these different aspects of music making um he's very hands on with all of that even with uh the orchestration for his strings attached tour he worked with the arranger that was helping move his music from the uh, initial instruments to an orchestra um so uh, he he does it all and he is all those things and and that's okay
1: it does seem i mean it was it was really fascinating to me as a musical practitioner to get a glimpse into his technique as a crafts as a craftsman he seems very proud of his um hands-on quality you know in terms especially around the linguistic strategies you're sort of matching the syllabic accents of the originals that he's parodying and so on
0: yeah yeah no his his process is really interesting you think he might just be I don't know why. Well, people think parody is easy. You know, it's something children can do. But to really do it well, the amount of work that goes into how he chooses his words is remarkable. You know, draft after draft, careful consideration, his zombie-like state he describes. Um, It's it's yeah, he's he's great with words. And that's something I found out in difficult ways when I sent him the book, which was not required. It wasn't in the contract that I had to show him the book before. Uh, it came out but I, I went ahead and did that and he found some some grammatical errors and he, he's he would be a great editor <laughs> 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 yeah he's great with words
1: I did I, I also like that he doesn't take suggestions you know I, I feel yes. like there's a lot of like armchair weird weird owls out there saying oh you should write such and such a parody
0: oh yeah well everyone thinks they have an idea that's great and weird out and i I guess that's changed his his style, because there's so many people that can just put up some sort of parody on YouTube. He has to think it through and not go with the most obvious idea. Um, But he did take one suggestion and that was from Madonna since it's women's history month. I'd love that the only parody suggestion he ever took was from Madonna, turning her like a virgin into like a surgeon.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, let's talk about, um, Parody uh, as a as a sort of genre and why why it gets dismissed. Um, you know, there's this idea that parody is a derivative. I think you use the word parasitic. That right. real genius is supposed to create from nothing. Uh, there's also the question of ownership. It yeah. seems it, it seems like he must be sort of at the forefront of some special challenges of permission and copyright.
0: Yeah, the legal history behind parody is really interesting. And uh, he was a big fan or is a big fan of Mad Magazine. And there was some early uh, parody writing in there that did get challenged legally. But now the courts do recognize um, parody as fair use. So he's able to do it. Um, He does ask permission. He doesn't have to ask permission legally or get permission legally legally. Um, because parody is recognized as an art form, as it should be. When you look back through music history, parody has always been a part of music, um, and music builds on existing work. All art builds on existing work. You could almost make an argument that anything is a parody. A parody by definition, you're taking a pre-existing work and making it new somehow. Um, So uh, there's an argument that an awful lot of art is parody. But in music history, you, you have um, the, so much of music like early, early music uh, dealing with original music, putting new words on that music, like the motet way back when um, you're taking existing music, changing the words, combining uh, the music in different ways. Um, there's such a long history of using pre-existing work, and it is considered an art form legally now as, as well it should be.
1: You point out that the national anthem is a parody.
0: Yes, yes. It takes real talent to do parody well and to make a new point with it. That's all creative artwork, and and shouldn't be seen as something that's derivative or parasitic. This is this is how art moves.
1: Um, I was I you you just answered one of the questions that kept coming up reading your book, which is you know there's one of the repeated stories that keeps coming up with with Weird Al is. Um, that the management will refuse permission, but then the artist will, will okay it. Um, the exception being Prince. Um, yeah. I wonder, I, given that, and, and I kept wondering, does he, does he really need the permission? Why do you think it's so important to him to get the permission?
0: Well, Weird Al cares about his reputation and he doesn't want to become a lightning rod for controversy and upset. That's just not who he is. That's not part of what he wants to do. Um, So he's always been very respectful about artists' wishes. Um, That was the same. There's so many examples of that, even with uh, Eminem and the uh, couch potato parody. um, He uh, got permission to do that, but he didn't get permission to make a video for it. Somehow the image of Weird Al as Eminem wasn't something Eminem's team was okay with. So He didn't make he didn't make the video. It's just he doesn't want to be involved in these controversies. That's and it's that way in everything he does and the topics he chooses um, in his approach to politics or lack thereof. um, He doesn't want to be involved embroiled in these controversies. He's a he's a source of joy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But to clarify, he wouldn't have needed. I, I, if I understand correctly, he wouldn't have needed permission to do the the, the visual That's parody right. either, right?
0: That's right. No, absolutely. Yeah, he could have done that, and he could have parodied Prince um, legally if he'd wanted to.
1: Um, his apolitical attitude is one of those um, things which maybe has has sort of allowed him to 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 have the longevity that he had. Um, there's a way in which, and especially since he's become such a beloved pop culture figure in the last couple of years, the the character he reminded me of a little bit was Dolly Parton, that they have both managed to to maintain this plausible deniability about their personal politics.
0: Yes, I love that you bring up Dolly Parton. It's such a great idea. And it wasn't something I thought of, but it makes perfect sense. Dolly Parton has had an amazing career, especially as a woman, so many women after a certain amount of time, come against these double standards and these labels that have uh, you know that seem to just lurk behind every corner for women in music you know diva there's so many Um, but Dolly Parton maintains this uh, likability and I thought of this article I think it was by Emily Lordy about how uh, Dolly Parton is able to straddle these different categories she can appear authentic and artificial, you know, very, very feminine, but also a strong, powerful feminist. Um, And and somehow that all works. They don't cancel each other out. Um, And likewise, we've got Weird Al here, who's had this very long career and with the same group of musicians behind him. His band has been with him this whole time, which is, I mean, there's very few other bands that have been together for as long as Weird Al's group has been together. Um, and and he's remained beloved despite, you know, occasion despite working in comedy, which, you know, comedy can can kind of weigh into controversies just with the change in context, uh, changes over time and and how we think. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I think it's partly how he approaches politics. Um, he really is careful not to go too far. He doesn't want that to be part of his brand. Um, and he's also, uh, you know, asked for permission. He's got this very likable reputation and it's really well earned. Everyone talks about how everyone who works with them talks about how nice it is to work with them, how attentive he is, how involved he is, how receptive to their ideas he is. And in writing this book, I I found he was very nice. It was really amazing. I I started when I first um, thought of this idea and got the interview, I was so excited. And then after I met him, and he was so generous, in our first interview, and so engaged, he wasn't, he didn't have a cell phone out, he wasn't distracted, he was fully engaged in this interview, you know, and he offered me, you know, coffee or something, whatever I wanted. And I just couldn't ask him to get me coffee. <laughs> um, he was just so lovely. And then afterwards, I felt this tremendous responsibility to do a good job with this book. Um, because he had been so generous and so nice. It's just, um, it, it really is kind of remarkable. Of course, if you ask him about his niceness, uh, he will say, you know, the standards are low in Hollywood. I'm just, you know, just a, a regular sort of person. But um, it, it actually is really remarkable
1: yeah I mean that's another thing that he and he and Dolly Parton have in common right is their reputation for niceness and I wonder if there's yeah. sort of a what, what what the chicken and egg relationship is to their avoidance of controversy and yeah. um, and the, the reputation for niceness
0: Yeah I'm sure it's connected both of them have somehow waded through all of that and it's it's just I mean it's so few stars you can even think of that that get to a certain level of fame as kind of these icons and legends. And I would say uh, Weird Al has hit that status, just the sheer amount of television shows or programs that cite him in some way. He pops up all over the place. Like he is a legend at this point um, and he somehow maintained that status. And I just, there's very few stars that ha- can wade through like that. And, and I'm sure the niceness the niceness relates.
1: This is a little bit of a of a of a tangent, but the one exception he make he seems to make in terms of political statements is about vegetarianism. Yeah, do, do you have any sense of why he why he carves out a space for that?
0: Well, it's important to him. I do realize it's important to him, and he's got that song "Trigger Happy" that takes on a gun ownership. Um, he's not in favor of guns, of course. The sentiment behind that song. Um, you you know, it's, it's this trigger happy. I'm trigger happy. Um, and it's kind of making fun of all of that, but some people misconstrued that and thought, you know, he actually is celebrating guns. Um, but in that song, that is not the case. Um, he, yeah, that's, that's something that's important to him. He read a book, I believe it was in 1992, um, that set him on this course. And, and that is something that he cares about and, and sticks to.
1: You mentioned, um, that one of the challenges as far as longevity for comedians is that comedy is sort of a, is a famously perishable quality, yeah. uh, especially some of the lyrics. Do you want, can you talk a little bit about how he's avoided that, that, that particular challenge?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I know he tries to avoid the political topics in part because it dates you. Um, it's not just maintaining his kind of reputation, staying out of controversy um, but it's also that you know, the politics changed so quickly. If he had a bunch of songs that dealt with contemporary events like a Randy Rainbow, that stuff might not be relevant in a week or even the next day. Um, so that's, that's something he um, avoids. Um, it's true that even with topics that seem like they might hold up like grammar, uh, his song, word crimes, th- that the meaning can change the meaning can change in any of these comedic setups um, our our lives of uh, the current state of things is just constantly changing um, so he tries his best to have material that won't date itself immediately um, but it's kind of amazing to see how sometimes uh, that doesn't work out i just last week saw a post from someone who was upset about his song word crimes because he mentions, um, slowing down and paying attention to pronouns. Um, what's the exact lyric? It's, um, you've got to slow down. Um, sorry, I'm pulling it up so I don't mess it up because I found it so fascinating. You'd better slow down and use the right pronoun. Now that song is 2014. Um, someone was upset, like, oh, Weird Al's so woke, quote unquote, uh, caring about, you know, using the right gender pronouns. Uh, I'm sick of it, you know, some upset post. And I thought, wow, this post is so crazy on two levels. First of all, this song was 2014. I think the dealings with gender pronouns um, this kind of 2017, the first academic article, I think is around 2017 dealing with that. And then it started sort of took off around. I don't think the issue around gender pronouns was big in 2014. Um, I'm fairly certain that's not what Weird Al meant. Uh, I'm not even taking on the political thing of how stupid it is that this guy is upset about pronouns, uh, gender pronouns too, but um, the point is this song is being received differently uh, again when it's a seemingly innocuous topic around grammar. <laughs> it's kind of amazing.
1: But one of the it, it does seem like he gets the benefit of the doubt again because yeah. of his reputation.
0: Yes, that's true. He does. And he has made mistakes uh, th- that he, you know, inadvertent mistakes. Uh, he used the word spastic also in that song. and he didn't realize how much of a slur that was in the UK um and uh, and he apologized and felt very terrible still seems to feel very terrible about that um and other words too um you know he kind of realizes they're not quite right and will mention that if he's going to play the song i heard him do that with the word midget um in concert Um, um but yeah people seem to forgive him there hasn't been any sort of attempt to you know, quote unquote, cancel him if that even works. I'm not sure. Um, he, he definitely gets the benefit of the doubt. He apologized. He, he, he sincerely apologizes and people believe him.
1: One of the other extraordinary lines that he manages to walk is that, you know, for for someone who's been, by any definition, a celebrity for many, many decades, and, you know, we've seen pictures of his house he's 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 a wealthy guy mm-hmm. um people don't he's he still manages to come across you say his friends treat him like a friend not a celebrity yeah. like he's a he's he's um it, you know he, he he plays this role of the the one sane man in in hollywood
0: yeah yeah he does and uh, yeah you don't catch him doing any wild antics he's not a he doesn't drink Um, He doesn't seem he does have a nice house, but it doesn't seem excessive. And uh, I read quite a few articles early on about him being quite, you know, cheap, like with a, you know, not an overspender, quite smart in that respect. Um, I love this movie that's being made right now with Daniel Radcliffe playing him in a kind of parody of a biopic. Um, I think some people think this movie is actually going to be the true story of Weird Al's life. I don't know if you've heard about this movie. I did. Um, I
1: actually did think that. I thought it, <laughs> I didn't realize it was a parody.
0: I think it yes, it's cuz it, you see the tagline this is about the excess of Weird Al. Uh-huh. Now, Weird Al doesn't have excess. He's not a big drinker or a big partyer or crazy in these ways. So so just that's a tip off. This is going to be a crazy version of the life that Weird Al never had <laughs> because he wasn't out drinking and doing these crazy benders or involved with, you know, starlets in these wild romances. He's um, he has a lovely, stable home life and 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 he doesn't drink. So I can't wait for this movie. This is going to be too much fun.
1: Yeah, it does seem like there's a way in which he presents himself, and you know, he's he's uh, spiritually Midwestern. You know, yeah, like this uh, small C conservative force.
0: Yeah. And he's talked to about his mom was very overprotective and, you know, growing up. And part of that was uh, he was younger than the kids. He skipped several grades. uh, So, you know, bullying was an issue, an issue for him and his mom um, watched out for him and also regulated on his musical choices. I guess he listened to the Dr. Demento show in secret because his mom heard a few kind of off color songs and, and didn't approve. Um, so yeah, he had parents that really watched out for him and took care of him and he was on the straight path and has stayed there.
1: It did strike me as interesting talking about his, his early influences. Um, the, we hear that he, he learned to play accordion by learning all of, uh, Elton John's goodbye, yellow brick road yeah. on the accordion. That's the only mention of non-comedy music. Do we have any sense of what other music he liked?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um he was definitely exposed to a lot of different things that influenced him. And again, I, you know, the comedy music is music. So he was exposed to a lot of good music um being interested in the comedic musicians and and Mad Magazine and all of this. Um and but listening to the Dr. Demento show too, he was exposed to a lot of different stuff. Dr. Demento, you think of humorous music, but he also was very into rarities or music that was Uh, not getting the play that he thought they uh, thought deserved. So Weird Al was exposed to a lot of different stuff. I cited Elton John and some of these comedic musicians kind of looking for the through line of uh, of his comedic influences, but he was exposed to a lot of different music also just with Dr. Demento.
1: Yeah. Uh, We should talk about the accordion because he was so associated with that. And of course, you know, if you're going to be a a comedic musician, no instrument in American culture, almost no instrument in American culture (laughs) comes with as much comedic baggage as the as the accordion.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah. The accordion is too much fun. And I know, you know, since you're an accordion player um, that yes, that there is some fascinating mashups, but it seems like the accordion these days is also becoming somewhat hip depending would you say that's true
1: i mean i have this theory of course that you know because there were so many it was such a culturally dominant instrument in the 40s and 50s with the lawrence welk show and you know there were millions and millions of accordions sold and and all those went into you know into attics for many decades and when that generation started to to die off and those pretty excellent instruments ended up on ebay pretty inexpensively i think people our age and younger were able to acquire them and start playing around with them and, and play around with that cultural baggage even as we picked them up.
0: Yeah. And I think it can make it a fun kind of source of something new and different and innovative now, at the time when Weird Al got this instrument, and he didn't really choose it, this was his mom, and there was a door-to-door salesman with this accordion, and Weird Al just joked tremendously that his mom wanted to make him tremendously popular with the ladies, um, because this instrument did have all the baggage at the time when he was playing. Um, and he immediately sensed that that was a rich source of comedy, You know, playing these popular songs on the accordion right away got people's attention. And Dr. Demento cited that early on as one of the reasons that Weird Al really caught his eye or, or caught his ear was hearing the accordion in the mix in comedic music. Um, that was, that was something special. Um, and, and he played, he's played with that forever. The, the accordion in, in different ways and always with the polka medleys. Um but yeah, I think now it's kind of fun to see or think about how the reception around the accordion in comedic music is changing, how there's something kind of hip about it almost. And it, and it kind of almost dovetails with Weird Al's reputation, how uh, he was so uncool and played with that. And then all of a sudden being a nerd, being uncool became cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he seems to have a real eye for things like accordions, like the Hawaiian shirts, like the glasses yeah. for a while, you know, the, the 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 things that are the opposite of the tropes of musical seriousness. Like what's the opposite of, what's more opposite to, you know, orchestral concert black than a, than a Hawaiian shirt and an accordion?
0: Oh, yeah. It's so true. I love how he plays with that. As I was working on this book and I came up with this title, Weird Al, Seriously, which just right away seems like this this strange mashup. Um, and then what, you know, it's not. Um, and then I came up with this idea for the cover and Kelly Phillips, this wonderful artist, uh, did this cover with a I wanted a bust kind of like the traditional composer bust of Beethoven, you know, very serious, but only it's Weird Al. And I thought that would be so funny and meaningful. And right at that time, then I heard about Weird Al's going to do his String atta- strings attached tour where he's playing with an orchestra. And there's that funny mashup again, Weird Al with a symphony orchestra. Um, he's always, always playing with that. And he has a great eye for, oh, for how to play against that, even though in a way he plays with it. Um, so yeah, I, I love all of that.
1: Um, we should talk about those polka med- medleys because, of course, the accordion is totally central to those. Um, aside mm-hmm. from the inherent comedy of transferring recognizable rock and pop songs to the accordion, is there more there with the with these what seems to be the ongoing um, fascination with these polka medleys?
0: Well, music-wise, yeah, they're amazing. And you would appreciate that way more than me because I do not play the accordion, although I really think I need to go on eBay, like you said, and pick up a cheap accordion and just get into it. Um, But um, like the Hamilton polka, that is just impressive musically. Just the sheer amount of notes, (laughs) even me, someone who does not play the accordion, gets that that is impressive. Um, But within the polka medleys, The mashup between the popular song and the accordion is hilarious and fun, but also the arrangement, the songs he chooses and how he fits them together uh, can be very interesting. Which song bit comes after the other and and in the whole, in the way he combines these songs, there can be interesting commentaries and clashes and, and comedic send ups just in that mashup. So the polka medleys are really fascinating when you kind of analyze it and take it apart um, in all of these ways, the song combination, the genre combination, um, and then the musicianship. So there's actually a ton happening at once in those things.
1: As an example of the, (laughs) I I, th- I think you present as a as a kind of co- example of how he might be making a commentary on a on a style of popular music. I think you call it the sad white boy medley. Oh,
0: angry white boy polka. A- angry yeah. white boy polka. Yes, yes, exactly. That's one, and he's got one that matches up a lot of uh, songs dealing with uh, women um, too. It's something I talk about in the in the chapter dealing with gender. Uh, that's really fascinating. These kind of powerful women. Um, coming together in song. And, and sometimes, too, he'll take little bits of the songs that are kind of similar, like a, a repetition in um, a consonant that happens in several different songs and put that together, kind of these similarities between the pop songs. And you can look at that almost as a commentary on the standardiza- standardization of pop music. Or not. Um, but uh, it's interesting how he chooses the songs and both the commentary, what he says about um, a certain topic, but also the construction of pop song.
1: I mean, maybe there, there, there probably is something inherently um, it, it, there's an inherent critique, uh, but just by saying, look at all these songs about about angry, you know, American masculinity yeah. that are popular right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. It's something when I came up with the proposal for the Weird Al book, initially, I had set chapters, I I did this deep dive into the music. And then I had, okay, here are some themes that I see that I'm definitely going to talk about. Um, I didn't think of gender, that was the only chapter that came later, after spending a lot of time with the topic, I was like, Oh, my gosh, look at this connection uh, around gender. Uh, And it's it's kind of interesting. He doesn't draw attention to it. um, But you see this come up again and again around masculinity and toxic masculinity and strong women. Um, He's often flipping songs that deal that are quite toxic um, in these kind of hilarious ways and saving songs. I'll, I'll mention word crimes again with that blurred lines. We've got these dancing naked women with Robin Thicke that then become dancing uh, punctuation marks. And it's just a wonderful commentary on the ridiculousness of the original and, and almost the danger, but it's not something he draws attention to. So it was almost a surprise to me when I started to see this, this topic of masculinity and toxic masculinity flipped and made ridiculous over and over.
1: I mean, I guess there is the question of whether identifying tropes is, is, is quite the same as critiquing tropes or just yes. putting, putting them out there for, for public display.
0: Yes. I think drawing it, I think he Yeah, that's a good point. I think he does draw attention to them in interesting ways. Um, but, and it's arguably a critique. That's one of the fun things about parody. You can look at it in so many ways. I, you know, someone else is going to listen to the trash day, which is this flip of Nellie's Hotton here. Um, uh, someone's going to look, hear that in a completely different way maybe than I did. Um, but I think the critique and commentary is there. Um, you've got this duet or you've got this, uh, in the original, this it's getting hot in here, take off all your clothes. And then this very robotic woman, yes, I'll take off all my clothes. You know, this kind of gross male fantasy, and then it becomes this bickering between a man and a woman, and and the the man doesn't want to take out the trash, and the the wife's like, "Come on, man, this you're a disgusting slob, take it out." And it's just a delightful flip, and it's hard for me not to hear it as a critique, um, but parody leaves a lot of those questions open.
1: And it's another one of those really narrow hoops that that Al has to jump through because the song ultimately has to be funny in terms of his longevity. It, it has to be funny. Even if you don't know the source, even if the source song has been forgotten.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. And so that's part of why parody plays in so many different ways. If you're familiar with the original, you're going to hear the song different than if you haven't heard the original and and Weird Al wants it to be funny if you haven't heard the original um so and it is you've got these little uh, barf sounds in that there's all, all kinds of goofiness and very descriptive ruminations on the actual trash um but uh yeah so that's part of the reason uh, parody plays in so many different ways and Weird Al wants you to be able to appreciate the song even if you don't know the original it's absolutely true yeah.
1: That said, he does put a lot of, you know, he made a move at a certain point in his career from from playing his parodies just on accordion or, or accordion with a little bit of accompaniment to, tr- to actually trying to recreate, forensically recreate the original production. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. He had this idea that it was more funny if you didn't at first know it was a parody. If you actually start listening to it, and think think it's the original and then boom the lyrics come in and you go oh hold on so the left turn is really emphasized there where you're like whoa wait a second um so yeah that's something that became more important to him over over time being more uh, consistent to the original
1: and then you get the benefit of the catchiness and the and the whatever the eccentricities of the production are of the original even if the original is no longer recognizable
0: Oh, absolutely. For me personally, he saved a few songs, the songs that I just didn't want to hear anymore, but I liked the the beat. I liked the the kind of melodic hook. I liked them, but I just didn't like the artist. I didn't like the sentiment, like blurred lines. He saved blurred lines for me. That's fun. That's super catchy. Now I can enjoy it. I would say Taco Grande too. He's That Rico Suave, the original, is pretty gross. And then Weird Al turned it into a whole thing about... How delicious Mexican food is, and uh, you know, I agree, delicious. So he saved that one. <laughs> who could argue? <laughs> yeah, who could, who could, I'm with you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Do we know if his if his early fans noted or commented or cared about that that switch from the more stripped down version to the more elaborate productions?
0: That's interesting. I never asked. I should have asked. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. That's something. Um, now I'm going to ask after the fact, and it's going to be one more thing. I wish I had gotten in the book. The great thing about doing an expanded edition, I had never done one before, was getting to put in all these things that as soon as I sent the original book off, I thought, gosh darn it, why didn't I do this? Um, so it's, now it's every author's need...
1: dream to get another crack at it.
0: I know I've never had that. Have you ever had that experience? It's amazing.
1: Oh my God. It's the worst. Not, there's yes. no, there's no, nothing like nothing for finding typos and factual errors than, than sending off a final manuscript.
0: It's so true. You're so involved in that first process. And you think you've covered everything you're just done. You send it off. And then as soon as you do that, it somehow wipes the slate clean. And then you think of everything you should have included. For me, I can't believe that I did not talk about all of the people Weird Al influenced in the first, in the hard hardback version. I talked about people that influenced him. I talked about his his legacy in music, but I didn't talk specifically about the many, many people he influenced. And it, not just musicians, musicians, comedians, there's a ma- magician. There's so many different people that have been influenced by Weird Al in different ways. And I cannot believe I did not include that. So now I got a whole second crack at that and got to add a section called School of Al. And I got to make this really terrible joke. You know, it's a bad joke when it's really, really hard to explain Um, I did a whole thing around the second Viennese school, kind of. So a school of Al, you know, this it's not an actual school. It's a sphere of influence. No one rides the bus. You know, another one rides the bus. That was a bad one. That's not even the worst joke I make in this section. I did a thing like uh, the second Viennese school, you know, Viennese is Wiener, spelled like Wiener. (laughs) And I somehow connected that to the Twinkie Wiener sandwich that Weird Al is known for. It was such a bad joke. The editor was like, I don't know what to do with this. If you really want to keep this, we can. I was like, Can't, yes, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> well, let's, here's, here's your chance. Who do you see being in the School of Al?
0: oh my gosh, there's so many people. Well, I have this magician in there, but all like the comedic musicians, I had to do like the Lonely Island. The Lonely Island was very clear and, and they've really cited him as an influence over and over again. And there's even this great magazine cover with them all drinking Kool-Aid, the Weird Al Kool-Aid, like as if this is not a school of Al, but an actual cult of funny music. Um, I said the flight of the Concords, you've got Reggie Watts. I didn't say the um, There Might Be Giants. I'm giving away that I have talked to you before, um, <laughs> but that would have been something to explore. I did talk about a musician named Logan Whitehurst um, that was really influenced by Weird Al um, and the, the Might Be Giants. Um, and um, uh, he died young, uh, but Dr. Demento cited him as kind of if there ever was going to be another weird owl, that would have been, that would have been it. Um, and, uh, L- Logan Whitehurst was really influenced by weird Al. Um, he also happens to have grown up with my husband. So it's kind of a wild connection. Um, but, uh, who else did I put in there? Oh, Rachel bloom. There's some amazing women that were influenced by weird Al. Um, there's Garfunkel and oats. Um, so yeah, all kinds of musicians and comedians. Jimmy Fallon talks about him. Lin Manuel Miranda, I have yes. to mention. Just there's there's a quite a list.
1: I want to uh, read out that Lin Manuel Miranda quote because I think it's really it's it really is, is insightful about about um, what he's talking about the polka medleys. Uh, showing him that quote genre is basically just clothing that dresses up the song. A song yeah. could be any genre at all, and the song is not the genre. First yeah. of all, it's an amazing way to to explain to some of my students when I'm trying to explain how how uh, songwriting copyright works and the difference between the 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 song and the you know the publishing copyright and the and the master recording. But also, it yeah. says something about about a sort of platonic ideal of song that can. Um, project through whatever trappings of genre are, are draped over it
0: yeah it's a wonderful thing and to hear Lin-Manuel Randa talk about all that and talk about Weird Al as the inspiration for that and the inspiration for what he did with Hamilton and how he's played with genre um, and the mixing of genres in his own work and how that all comes back to Weird Al's that's, that's amazing. And, um, and yeah, and I just love that, especially as someone who loves to play around with music categories and, you know, we get so rigid in how we think of genres and how we think of music and to see that play that exists really just laid bare by people like Weird Al and Lynn Manuel Miranda is just, I love it. Chef's kiss.
1: Yeah. And that legacy that you're, you're describing the people who, who attach themselves to the legacy of Weird Al is interesting because you know one of the one of the things that i noticed in the early chapters is was the difficulties i think people had with finding people to compare him to yeah, you know, we brought up they might be giants. I don't think they were. I think they were just sort of traveling on parallel tracks, right? The other mm-hmm. people carrying right. the, the torch earlier. for for funny music with accordion in the in the eighties and nineties. Yes, um, the name Frank Zappa came up a couple times. Oh, yes, which is not exactly a flattering comparison to Weird Al. And they're sort of like they operate in very different realms. Like Zappa self consciously wants to pro- project his seriousness in many ways, right. and the humor is 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 juvenile and and Weird Al you know has a has a very different viewpoint
0: yeah no absolutely it's really hard to make those direct comparisons and uh yeah Frank Zappa yeah he's a funny one he's a hard one to talk about for me in some ways because people do take him seriously he in in the musical realms in the musicological realms um he really wanted that serious cred and he positioned himself as a sort of genius and people, people agreed. Um, but the way he went about that um, when I read the biographies and all of this, he was sometimes, you know, sounded rather cruel and like some sort of bullying and, and his music, some of the funniness in it is very cutting. Um, it's very different than Weird Al in my mind. Um I don't think Weird Al would say that. He would welcome the comparison. He would wouldn't be so cruel as I'm being right now to say, you know, Frank Zappa was a bully, and I don't see the the connection there. Um, and it's yeah, an object
1: it, lesson in humor that doesn't age well.
0: Yeah. Yes. Abso- yeah. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I think Weird Al played with things in a different way. You know, uh, Frank Zappa really wanted to be a part of the serious establishment and orchestral music. And when Weird Al comes in contact with an orchestra, he's playing with a mashup. He's not trying to say, I belong here. It's just it's a very, very different. Yeah. It's hard to compare Weird Al uh, to anyone. um, And yet... (laughs) <laughs> we we keep trying,
1: but I think the point being that you know Weird Al w- w- is coming from an unfamiliar place when he when he arrives on the scene. But his influence and his legacy is such that now there's a whole world of people that you can that you can say, well, this is the world, this is the ocean that Weird Al swims in.
0: Absolutely, and I think um, the fact that his uncool his nerd status has become cool has certainly helped people to feel comfortable claiming him. Um, And also it it is, I I think it was Jimmy Fallon who said, who had this quote um, in the expanded edition who, uh, about Weird Al opening up this possibility that this is okay. It's okay to be so different, to do this weird stuff. Um and that's that's a powerful message not just for these comedians and these musicians and all of these creative people, but for everyone. I mean, in some ways, everyone can talk about, well, not everyone, but anyone who's who's embraced their oddballness um can cite Weird Al as an influence. I feel like I am at this point, uh, you know, just when I'm being my oddball self, like, yeah, this is something weird. Al says it's okay. So it's okay.
1: (laughs) Uh And in, in, in his humility and in his, the, the, the unique place he occupies in the culture, um, he's constantly being discovered. It gives him this, it it allows him to maintain this underdog, uh, quality well past, um, any objective metric for for underdog status, right? You say that there's a way in which every album is, is received as a comeback album, as a surprise, as a pleasant surprise.
0: Yeah, I love this and I didn't talk about that as somehow a part of his longevity, but it makes so much sense that he was never seen as someone that was oversaturating the world of music because he was always on this comeback even though he never left. Um, so it kind of it kind of made it possible for him to be there all of this time. Um, people never resented it. It's oh, it's weird Al's still here. He's been here forever. I can't take it. No, they're always like, oh, he's back again. How lovely.
1: <laughs> so the through line in your work is is categories in music um, <laughs> from uh, again, Jewish music in the Nazi era, music and criminal law. Uh, Weird Al and humorous music. Where is that thread uh, going to lead you next?
0: That is a good question. Um, I am working on a book. Uh, it's under contract with the University of Indiana Press about funny music more generally, taking it on uh, based on genre. So the musicians that took on uh, the humor in heavy metal music, like Tenacious D, um, and the women, the women who took on humorous music around. Uh, musicals and um, uh, all of this. So I've got that book. I'm calling it Funny Music Seriously. Currently, um, I've had a lot of fun with that. I was able to get an interview with Tom Lehrer, who is notoriously reclusive. Amazing. Because it was amazing. I wanted to do a chapter about funny music and death. So I'm also doing some around topic chapters around uh, humor and certain topics like love songs and and death. And when I wrote to him, he said, I will talk to you even though I don't really do interviews as long as we stay on the topic of death. It was such an amazing response um, that it's just close to my heart forever. Uh, so I've got that. I also have been dealing with uh, topics around gender, gender and music. And I have a biography that came out a couple years ago about a uh, woman uh, a female musicologist and all of the challenges she dealt with those various label labels and i have another project dealing with labels uh toxic labels that female musicians deal with in pop music so um so yeah you've got all of that hopefully to look forward to
1: (laughs) thank you so much for joining us uh it's been a real treat
0: thank you so much for having me this has been great